You're listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Nutmeg Arena podcast brought to you by the Nutmeg Assist. My name is Ritwik Rajendran and I'm the host for the show today. So, in this episode we have a really special guest joining us. He is David Amoyal, the owner, the founder of the Calcio Land podcast. which is one of the best podcast related to the Serie A or Italian football so he's also a really really amazing writer a very well known writer uh, in the journalism field you can see him write on the Mazio's English website and he also has a Patreon page as well so David Amoyal is the guest for today's show we'll go directly on to the podcast now Enjoy guys. Welcome to the show David. Pleasure having Re- you. My pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean the world's a lot of a lot crazy right now with the whole pandemic going on. It's not just uh, a certain country or a certain continent. It, it's it's a global pandemic and things are really really crazy at the moment. Football's been shut. uh people are having to stay at their homes because of you know all the problems it's 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 really really bad it's a really bad situation in italy as well right now i was actually speaking to uh, a twitter friend i know adam ruganetta he is an inter fan so yeah. i yeah you might probably know him as well i guess so i was speaking to him and i think he lives in milan so he was actually telling me about all the stuff that's going on in Italy thankfully he's safe as well so hope i hope you're also safe at the moment and yeah it's there's a lot of mess going around and in today's podcast probably we'll be talking about the Serie A season so far and a little bit probably on maybe some raw and dead transfer rumors because like like you said uh, some uh, sometime back to me privately uh i don't think probably yeah there is any concrete transfer news or something written about it so yeah something that probably came up in the papers a couple of week i mean couple of months back or maybe last month as well we'll probably talk about it as well so so david uh juventus after you no know, a, a monopoly uh, so long they finally got probably challenged by two clubs at the same time probably this season i would say lazio and inter so how did you actually expect uh, going on to the season maybe for juve to be challenged as lazio and inter has done well i definitely felt that juve was going to be challenged because i think hiring sarre was the right move to try to improve in europe and the champions league but in serie a i think keeping allegri would have pretty much guaranteed that they would win serie a again but they would have a limited ceiling in the champions league Uh, I but I didn't expect them to be challenged by Lazio and Inter. I expected them to be challenged by Napoli especially and Inter as well. I actually thought Napoli had a pretty good chance of winning the title this season, but I really uh got that wrong completely. I thought Inter was going to be very strong. We know Conte in his first season at a club is always very successful. I thought Inter had a really good starting 11, maybe not a very 
deep squad. I expected them not to really try in the Champions League, which is what happened. I, at least I got that right over Napoli. So I thought Inter was going to contend with Juve and Napoli. I've always been big on Lazio. I thought they were the clear favorite to finish fourth. Uh, but I think I've been saying that the past three years, maybe even more. Uh, so Lazio definitely uh, surprised me as far as title contenders. I think up until even a few weeks before the season uh, went on hiatus, I think up until they beat Inter, I wasn't even taking them that seriously for the title. But I think had Serie A continued, like nothing happened, I think Lazio would have had a very decent chance at winning it. The schedule was in their favor. They had uh, 12 games in 84 days, while Juve and Inter had a ton of games to make up. It looked really good uh, for Lazio. But at this point, I doubt we'll have a season completed. Uh, It really doesn't matter with what's happening in Italy and what's going to happen anywhere in the world but uh yeah i expected a good season but uh definitely lazio exceeded my expectation yes yeah, spe- uh lazio actually like you said definitely exceeded expectations you have to give them credit for that as well uh as for inter with yeah conte is actually kind of the first season man as well he did it with chelsea in the premier league the same thing although chelsea did not have you no know, a probably a title-winning squad compared with Manchester City or probably other teams as well. So definitely, probably people might have put Conte's Inter uh, in, in the front line along with Juve. And especially with the likes of uh, Lukaku up front. I guess Lukaku was a really, really wonderful signing. What happened at Manchester United probably was a bit, uh, you, you call, unlucky, I would say, probably for him. And... He's actually redeemed himself here at uh, Inter and that, that's, that's really, really nice to see because he's such a talented footballer. We all know that he can score a lot of goals and that's what he's shown at Inter. So when, when Lukaku signed for Inter, was that the same idea that you had in mind or did you think he might struggle? Well, uh, I thought uh, Lukaku for Conte's system was really going to be a great fit. We know Conte wanted him even before Chelsea when his last season at Juve, he was trying to bring him there, wanted him at Chelsea. Like he's exactly the type of striker uh, that he likes. Uh, not It's not just about scoring goals. It's also how much he helps the team open spaces for other players, midfielders, which is a trademark. Of Conte, I thought, you know, a lot of people said, oh, the problem with Lukaku is he doesn't score in big games. But Inter in recent years gave up so many points to lower table teams. So I was like, hey, that's not such a bad thing if he can score against the Bolognas, the Brescias, the Fiorentinas of the world. That's uh, what Inter needs. And uh, he's been a sensational signing. I think it's not, he's been a great on uh, the pitch. He's made a lot of contributions. He helped. Lautaro Martinez get a lot better. They've been a great tandem together. I think he's been an unbelievable figure off the pitch. I think he's uh, been a great person to have in Serie A when you think of uh, you know, the, the problems with racism, the way he's handled 
himself uh, really admirable. I think it was a great signing. It's the most expensive signing in Inter history. But if you notice, nobody complains about the transfer fee anymore. And that's what happens if the player delivers and brings all that. What what they cost really doesn't matter that much. You know, it matters if you know if you overpay and you can add other players to the team that you need. But that was not the case at Inter. Uh, they improved a lot. So I think Lukaku was an absolutely brilliant signing but in th- for Inter and a really good addition for Serie A as a whole. Yeah, like you said, he's actually brought uh, Lotaro Martinez into action a lot and he's been really impressing. And I probably heard a cup, I mean, a Fabrizio Romano, the best in the business, probably I'd say, say that Madrid and Real Madrid and Barcelona have an eye on him. To say, I mean, Barcelona definitely need a striker now that Luis Suarez is you know, aging and probably he's a top target there. So, yeah, that's probably uh, one good thing that's happened with uh, Conte's arrival and Lukaku signing as well. And they actually signed Ashley Young uh, in January from Manchester United as well. So And also Christian Eriksen, I should probably not skip that. So... Probably two signings that Ashley Young. Prob- uh, I think Ashley Young gets a, got a lot of stick from the United fans, but he actually did a pretty fair fair job for United over the years. He was a really really good player for uh, United under Louis Van Gaal. Mourinho actually trusted him as well, and Solskjaer also. I would say he trusted because. Young was trying to give 100% each and every time he stepped out on the pitch and he has a leadership quality as well. So I, when, when Young actually signed for Inter, I thought, yeah, this is probably going to work out because it's a really good move and this actually helps Conte as well, builds uh, a, a good confidence as well in the team because Ashley Young whipping in crosses from the flanks with Lukaku and Lotaro in the box, it's probably dangerous. And with the addition of Christian Eriksen, I think Inter Milan have a really, really amazing midfield now, Brozovic, uh, Sensi, Eriksen, etc. So their midfield is probably the best in the league, would you say? Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, Ericsson, it's going to be interesting to see how Conte, what position he uses him. Sensi, when healthy, I mean, I would say up until mid-October, we were talking about Sensi as the best new addition to any club in Serie A. They have Barella, who's one of the best young box-to-box midfielders in all of Europe. Another really good addition that did well. So, yeah, and I think Brozovic for a long time has been one of the most underrated midfielders, not just in Serie A, everywhere. I've been saying since last year that when Brozovic does well, Inter wins and they have their best games. Uh, The few times Brozovic struggles and he's become a lot more consistent as when Inter uh, tends to lose. So, yeah, I agree with you. They have a really nice uh, midfield now. Uh, they lack depth uh, the first half of the season. Uh, I think Ericsson, maybe Conte will kind of have him do the Pirlo role in front of the defense, uh, which would be pretty interesting. And I agree totally on Ashley Young. I think, too, Ashley Young is the typical Conte guy, hardworking, versatile, experienced, who's not going to beat uh, himself. Um, and he's actually made a big impact. He's actually made a bigger impact than Ericsson so far. I mean, Ericsson, it's been a little bit harder for Conte to find uh, 
the right spot for him while Ashley Young's been playing right away and he's made an impact. So they've absolutely been good additions, no doubt about it. Yeah, so probably Inter probably is really well settled probably for the future or maybe for the next couple of seasons as well. Like you said earlier, I don't think uh, the Serie A season is going to be uh, going to be continue. And although you see, uh, you see in Premier League probably say that they would like to continue when the situation gets uh, much better. Uh, I don't think that might be the case for Serie A probably. So yeah, maybe we'll see. Um, but I honestly, I think this is going to be everywhere. It's just a matter of time. I mean, Italy has just been affected before. It just feels like. You kind of see the same stages, people talking about things. So first it goes, oh, we can't play behind closed doors. The fans are the most important. Then it's like, oh, we have to play behind closed doors. We have no choice. And then it's like, oh, we can't play at all because we have players and a manager that tested positive. This is exactly the same stage as Italy. And sadly, I think it's inevitable that everywhere they're just going to get come to the same conclusion. It's like, yeah, okay, we would like to start again but it's uh it's just really a rough situation it feels surreal like even as i'm saying this it doesn't even feel like it's uh my life or your life for that matter it just feels like it's kind of this movie somewhere else but uh sadly i think uh it's going to be that same movie italy is just a few episodes ahead yeah it's pretty scary out there but uh, we also saw UEFA saying I mean UEFA you saw UEFA postponing the Euros to next year the same happened with uh, Copa America as well the Conmebol postponing it to again an odd year the plan was to uh, actually play it in in an even year so that to coincide with the Euros but they've also now moved it to a year ahead but you also, I think there were suggestions from UEFA saying that they would actually like to see the leagues getting completed probably because of the sponsorship money or you know, sure. people. Yeah, it's because football has become a huge, huge business and money really, really matters as well. So, yeah, it's really uncertain what's going to happen now. But like you said, it's pretty scary out there and we are in no condition for probably for football to go ahead at this moment anywhere in the world so yeah it's pretty uncertain out there i'd say and moving on from that another team probably that has been struggling for probably six to eight years now ac milan inter's uh, city rivals they brought in gasparini in the summer and things absolutely went somewhere else so and i think they now have purely and Probably I just caught up a game, caught up a recent game that Milan played, I think, before Suso made his move. And you could see that they are trying, they are trying to have that cohesion in the team as well. With the addition of Zlatan, I definitely feel that they kind of have a little bit more confidence right now. Rafael Liao, is, he's, I think he's a really, really good young player. And I do think that they would be a lot better if they have a couple of pacey footballers maybe down the wings or up in attack as well. So I actually uh, tweeted about this quite a while back and uh, some people from Milan Twitter actually agreed with me on this. So for with respect to AC Milan season, what is your take and do you think they might finish in a Europa League place 
if this season was to be completed? Uh, probably not. I think Milan still not as good as say Roma, Napoli. So they would have to fit. So it would be yeah. I don't see them being better than those two teams. Uh, the 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 problem with Milan is next summer we are or whenever it starts again we're gonna start essentially all over again. They're going to have another sporting director for the fifth year in the row. In, in a row, we have Gazidis now, who's going to have a plan where the the team's going to be even more fiscally conservative. And I think he really doesn't have a choice. Like Milan's just in a really dire financial state, not making the Champions League, not getting those revenues for so many years. He's uh, really come back to bite them. So I think Milan, unfortunately, I mean, they need to get more players like Leao, as you described. They need to find players that have, you know, low wages and that you can hope get better. So either you resell them or those are your starters for the future. Uh, I think Ibrahimovic is exactly the type of signing they've tried to do in the past. They try to do... Um, one push to make the Champions League. The year before, they had signed Paqueta and Piontek. They were the team in Europe that spent the most January of last year. This year, they bring Ibra, but you keep doing things like that. Sooner or later, the credit card bill becomes due. And look, Ibrahimovic played well. He's brought confidence to the team, but it's really like putting a Band-Aid on the problem. If he gets you to the Champions League, great. He gives you the revenue, but if he doesn't, you're really just putting a band-aid there. So I think Milan's going to be forced to do uh, more young players, get guys like Leao and try to, you know, Theo Hernandez has been an absolutely brilliant signing. He's been one of the best new additions in Serie A. Those are exactly the type of players that Milan needs to find, low wages, players with upside. So, um I think Pioli, um, you know, has been doing a pretty decent job. Uh, but I think Milan, we're going to have a brand new regime once again. It's just always going back to square one, unfortunately. Yeah, and also apparently Maldini and Boban were doing quite a good job, I would say, as well. And then all of a sudden you see Gazidis come in and try to make more changes as well. So, I don't think the club itself is really stable at the moment. And I also heard some rumours that Milan are planning to bring Ralph Ragnick as their coach, probably yeah. head coach next season. So, not sure where that is going. Ragnick definitely is a really, really amazing uh, coach. He has an eye for ta young talents as well, especially uh, the players from Africa. I, I think he's uh, he has some nickname I kind of can't recall that, but yeah. So, uh, do you think there is a chance that we could see Ragnik uh, managing Milan next season? Or yeah, I mean that as of now seems to be uh, the plan. That was the reason why uh, Boban and uh, Maldini are leaving. They felt that behind their back he was being brought in, and they weren't consulted. So yeah, that seems to be. The plan that remains to be seen if he's going to be just a kind of technical director or also be the coach. It seems maybe Gazidis wants his version of Wenger, and uh, this could be it. So maybe uh, we'll see him in the dual role, or maybe he'll just be in charge of picking the talent. But as of now, that looks really rather likely that he'll be there. Well, that, that, that's going to be a really probably a positive addition for AC Milan. 
I know actually that pro- I've, I've actually thought the same thing probably for the last uh, four or five years. Every time Milan, uh, when you see Milan make a really good signing, you say, okay, Milan are going to come back, but it never has worked. It hasn't worked for them so far, probably in the last decade since Aleri left. So, yeah, it's quite hard for them at the moment. And coming to another team who's really, really been impressive this season and also the last. This season, they've been doing really well in the Champions League and they've also progressed to the Champions League quarterfinals. I'm talking about Atalanta. They've been really, really, really amazing in the past two years. And that is the kind of model that clubs like Milan can actually look at. Limited budget, uh, limited funds, but you see them doing wonders as well. So what's your take on Atlanta and how do you think they have actually come up all this way, probably from mid-table? So Atlanta are historically a very good lower mid-table team. They are considered themselves the queen of the Provinciali, uh, but they've obviously uh, gone beyond that in recent years. Uh, I think they would have absolutely qualified for the Champions League two years in a row. And they were the only Italian team with a, that qualified to the quarterfinals this season. So they were uh, really, really remarkable. I think the secret to the success was hiring the right manager and then giving him the players needed for his system. Gasperini is a brilliant manager at improving players using an offensive system uh, that works well. But then, you know, if you bring in someone like Ilicic and uh, he thrives... Ilicic is as talented as any player in Serie A. When he's on, he's probably the most fun to watch. Then you have Papu Gomez, you have Zapata, Muriel. Then you have great wingers like Goosens. Uh, They've just done it uh, right. They have a great business model. They have great young players. They have uh, made a lot of money selling their homegrown players. And they've made profits, but they've also reinvested the right way. They are... uh, without a doubt, brilliantly run as a club. And it's really started to pay off uh, in recent years. So, yeah, definitely a team to watch. And they've done the right thing. They reinvested in their stadium. Uh, they're they're going to have their stadium is going to be much more modern. Right now, they haven't been able to play their games in Europe in their own stadium because it's not compliant. And now they're going to have one of the nicest stadiums in all of Serie A. So you just have to admire and respect the way they go about doing business. Yeah, Ilicic especially, Yusuf Ilicic, he's been really, really amazing for Atalanta and he's really caught the eye as well of probably uh, some big football clubs across Europe. So, a few words on Ilicic probably from you? Yeah, I mean, this is a player that at Palermo and Fiorentina, you know, maybe five, six games a year, he'd be like really incredible. And when I mean incredible, like... uh, like as good a player in the world, and then the rest you'd be like, "Huh, what's going on? Is he even playing?" But at Atalanta, for some reason, he's been incredibly consistent. So he went from like maybe five, six great games to fifteen great games, uh, ten pretty good ones, and then the rest, you know, Ilicic, uh, in Ciabatte, as we would say in Italy, you know, not really putting in a lot of effort. But he's been brilliant. I mean. 
right now, if people are at home and whatnot, you need uh, to cheer yourself up. Go on YouTube, watch some Illichich highlights. Uh, you'll be entertained for sure. Yeah, actually, Milan probably was linked with Gasparini last last at the end of last season as well, if I am right. But instead, they got Giampaolo and that horribly went wrong. So, who knows? Maybe if they had managed to get Gasparini, things would have worked well for them. Probably, like you said, he's done a tremendous job with Atalanta so far. And hopefully, his stay at Atalanta probably goes on quite longer because it's kind of a fairy tale. You never know yeah. what clubs like uh, Atlanta could do because last season we saw Ajax get into the semi-final of the Champions League. It was a, a really uh, big surprise for everyone involved in football and who knows if this season went on, Atlanta maybe would have been that surprise team as well in the Champions League because they absolutely decimated uh, Valencia. So, yeah, yeah that's yeah, that was a really, really amazing thing, especially when uh, Juventus is struggling as well. So, yeah, so that's really good. And now probably we'll, I'll come on to Juventus. They appointed Maurizio Sari in the summer. Uh, decided, they decided to part ways with uh, Massimiliano Aleri and bought in Sari. And I guess they wanted a change in style, probably. I don't know if that was a player pressure or maybe a change of thought from the management, probably the board. Or, But my first instinct was that Maurizio Sari signing for Juventus, probably with aging midfielders like Matuidi and Pjanic, uh, who are not really fast as well. They are really slow and... I, my first thought was, would he be able to crack the bricks with Juve or probably is this the season where you might see a different champion in the Serie A? That was my first thought and I think he struggled a lot in the league, to be honest. There was, I guess, a mini fallout with the star player Cristiano Ronaldo as well at some point and probably you would say things hasn't worked out for him, but... Uh, in his defense, probably you could also argue that he doesn't have the ideal midfielders or the ideal players that he would have wanted. So probably a couple of summers probably would be helpful for him. So that 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 was my take on Sari initially, and with Pjanic, Matuidi, and he brought in Aaron Ramsey as well on on a free, not him, Juventus actually. So. What does your take on Maurizio Sarri's appointment, the whole Maurizio Sarri appointment by Juve, how he's done so far? And yeah, that's. So I look at it a little bit differently. As far as the results, I think this has to do more with Inter being very good and Lazio really overachieving because Juve is on pace to go over 90 points. Uh, they beat Inter pretty decisively the last game uh, that we had. There was one game the day after, but the last big game that we had in Serie A. So to me, they were on track for over 90 points in the history of Serie A. There's only one team that hasn't won the title when they went over 90 points, and that was Sarri's Napoli. So I think in Serie A, it actually went maybe better than we thought. It's just that the other Lazio and Inter have been really good too. I thought in the Champions League up until the match against Lyon, and look, the first half against Lyon was maybe as bad as Juve's played 
all season. Um, yeah, I mean, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened in the return leg there. I think in, before that, Juve in the Champions League was doing pretty well. Um, I think one of the reasons Sarri was brought in is Allegri really wanted to change the squad quite a bit. He saw a lot of the flaws that you pointed out in the midfield. He wanted to really uh, make a big change at Juve. While Juve, maybe they couldn't do it financially after getting Ronaldo, or maybe they didn't see it this way. And Sarri isn't one who gets too involved with transfers. Anyway, he just coaches the team that they give him. Um, I think Ramsey, when healthy, has been quite good, but we all know that like you can't really count on that. Uh, I've never been a big Pjanic guy. Um, not a good fit with uh, Sarri. I think Matuidi has been okay, but you know he is older. You can't expect him to be too consistent, and Bentancur is okay. Uh, but every time I hear oh, that Sarri doesn't have a good midfield, that's why we don't see Sarri ball. Uh, my response to that is, look, at Empoli, he had much less talent than the players we just rattled off here. And yet the team was playing was playing really well. So I don't know if I uh, agree with that. Now, obviously, if he had Tonali and Pogba or Verratti or someone like that, uh, then, yeah, it would definitely be a lot better. But I think Sarri at Empoli was able to play really well. So it seems to me Juve has changed Sarri more than Sarri has changed Juve. Overall, though, I think the results have been pretty good. There was definitely an issue with Ronaldo, but maybe it was more with the fact that Ronaldo was injured because at the same time, we've also had Ronaldo see go on an unbelievable stretch where he was carrying Juve, he scored, I think, in 11 games in a row. To Sarri's credit, Dybala has having a really good season. Dybala looked almost lost under Allegri the last year. So I'm maybe, and look, I'm not going to lie. People who listen to me know that I uh, love Sarri, and this goes to when he was back at Empoli. So I'm definitely biased towards him, and I'm definitely looking at uh, the glass half full, but I think you can point to some things that have been uh, quite good with him as well. Yeah, we actually talked about Aaron Ramsey, but another couple of signings that you were made in the summer was one was uh, Matthias Delic from Ajax, the yeah. highly rated, the golden boy. So we all thought probably he would be he would be moving to Barcelona to join his friend Frankie De Jong, but Juventus sweeped and they got the they got the kid, but with Chiellini earlier getting injured early, uh, look look like he got his chance, but he struggled initially. But I think recently he started to come up and started to find find his feet recently as well with his performances. And another player that has probably disappointed probably is Adrian Rabiot. When he was signed uh, signed by Juventus, I, he, he came in as a free signing from PSG. And personally for me, uh, I actually see people overhype Rabiot a lot. But personally for me, he was always an average footballer. So I never thought that uh, he would be a big hit at Juventus. And I was quite surprised as well as to why Juve decided to sign him. Probably... Free signing probably that made sense, but I don't think he's also again done anything in particular. So, what's your take on Delict and Rabiot as well? 
I think uh, there's high expectations with Delict, as there should be. There's also fan bases that would have liked to sign Delict, and that's why I'm go to Juve, that I'm sure, you know, are hoping he would fail. And every time he has some bad moments, and I won't deny that he's had some bad moments, are going to amplify them. But overall, I actually think Delict's been quite good. I think especially in 2020, he has been really very good. I think he probably was eased in faster than Juve would have liked with Kidini's injury. He was pretty unlucky. And look, he also could have played better, there's no doubt. But I think overall, he's been really good. Even with the match against Lyon, I don't think it's a coincidence that Lyon scored when he was on the sideline getting treatment. Um, I So I think Delic's going to be fine, and I think Juve made a really good signing there. But because they spent so much to sign him... Uh, they couldn't make a big move in the midfield. I think had Juve thought that they could sign either Pogba or Milinkovic-Savic, they maybe would have done that and not signed the Ligt, and then maybe tried to sign a center-back on a cheaper side. But realistically, I don't think they would have been able to sign Pogba or Milinkovic-Savic, and Pogba would have come with enormous wages, so it would have been an expensive signing too. So I think they're like, okay, we'll get the licked. We have a great relationship with his agent. He can be on, he can lead our defense for years to come. And uh, and I think overall that's been a good move. I think Rabiot, yeah, for overall, I agree with you. He had a couple of flashes where he looked okay, but um, not great. Uh, I think Ramsey's been much more impressive when he's been healthy. Yeah, so another player probably before we move on from Serie A, another player that I'd like to bring up was Jeremy Boga from, uh, he was a former Chelsea youngster and he's actually, I think, scored eight goals and also had four assists this season so far and for uh, Sassuolo and he's been really impressive probably because I've seen a lot of uh, amazing videos of him on Twitter this season, I mean, especially this for this season and there's been a lot of hype as well around him and I also, I think I've heard uh, in a couple of podcasts of yours, the Calcio Land podcast where you and Alex were discussing about Boga as well, probably Chelsea exercising their I think they have a buyback clause if I'm not wrong uh, and uh, yeah, that uh, I think he's been a real revelation this season and what, what, what's been your uh, take on Boga and Sassuolo in general this season? Well, I think Boga is uh, one of the most electric players in Serie A, one of the most fun to watch, um, one of the best dribblers in the league without a doubt. Perfect fit for the style of the team. Interestingly, his brother and agent said that, uh, you know, Sassuolo's sporting director said, we have this manager, Did Zerbi, showed him some videos of the Zerbi system, and they were like, hey, this is a great place for him to go. And he's absolutely made the most of the opportunity. I don't think he'll be back on Chelsea. I know they have the buyback clause, but it doesn't seem like that's uh, going to happen. I kind of see it a little bit. It's not exactly the same, but very similar to Benacer. Benacer was as Impoli. Arsenal had the right to match any offer that came in. Milan made a good bid. Arsenal let it happen. I think the same will kind of be the case here. Not so much because Chelsea doesn't want it, but it doesn't seem like there's really mutual interest. So my guess is whenever 
this market gets back going, uh, that we will see Bolga probably on another team. I mean, he won't stay at Sochuolo, but uh, wouldn't surprise me if he stays in Serie A. I know teams like Napoli are very interesting. He'd be great at Milan. I'm not sure they can afford him. We could see him go abroad. That's my guess on where we see him go next. Okay, great. So we move on from the Serie A now and we'll come on to transfers. So when I actually talk about transfer, the first thing I come on that comes on to my mind when I actually want to talk transfers with you, the first thing that I that comes on my mind is Manchester United fans getting into your uh, replies onto on on your yours as well as Fabrizio's tweets asking about their uh, their targets probably so that's that that's one headache probably you guys have to face a lot because united fans really really want answers as well so and i've seen you reply a couple of times probably to some people as well so that's the first thing that comes onto my mind and coming to transfers um do you actually think there is any concrete news on some particular player in Italy or anywhere else in Europe's top leagues that you see happening in the summer? Well, well, I I think it's really, really uh, dead right now in the sense I don't think it's a priority for players. It's not a priority for clubs. There's a ton of uncertainty on player salaries, seasons, so I honestly, and I say this with all due respect, I mean, I kind of chuckle when I see tweets now on transfer news. And look, we talked about one on my podcast, but it was basically to say that that I really don't think there's much activity. As far as Man United fans, like I really mean it. It's not like I'm being disingenuous. Those guys are huge supporters of my work. So um very happy to answer as long as people are respectful like uh and you know and i get a lot of the same questions so i can't answer always at the same time as long as people are respectful um you know i try to respond and again man united fans i, I never see it as a curse i mean they've good, been amazing supporters of my work as have fans of a lot of other fan bases so uh no it's i never look at it as a burden uh you know does it get annoying sometimes yeah are some people disrespectful yeah but you could say that about any fan base so overall i mean my impression's really excellent for man united fans so sorry just because in the interest of time i'll do one more question if you want just as i have to go pretty soon yeah so probably my last question or my last uh, the last thing that i want to know before we wind up this podcast is You've been working for DiMarzio's website. You've been doing a column for them. So how does it feel to actually work for DiMarzio, who is one of the best in the business? And I guess you also know Fabrizio Romano as well. And we all know how good Romano is. I think Blitzer Report probably had a small video on him uh, last sometime last year as well. So there's a lot of people who appreciate his work and DiMarzio's work as well in general. So how does it actually feel to write for DiMarzio and no no people like Roma Fabrizio Romano etc also Alex Goldberg I'd say he's <laughs> one of your friends probably yeah yeah well uh, Alex is a superstar now now well look you know I'm very different than Gianluca and Fabrizio I would never compare myself to them those guys are reporters and I can't stress that enough I'm a writer I don't consider myself a journalist I'm a writer 
but you know, I, I it was my idea. I told Di Marzio years ago, you should have your site in English. He didn't. He was very skeptical, and I told him, watch, it's going to be a big success, and it was the right thing for me to do because it gave me an audience. I wanted to write for other sites. Uh, when I was growing up, ESPN was a huge deal. A lot of my favorite writers were on ESPN, and that was my goal was to get there, and I knew Di Marzio's site would help me, but I'm not a reporter. Fabrizio and Gianluca are the reporters. I put it in English, but then that gives me an audience. It gives me an audience for my podcast, and I consider myself a writer of the podcast. I want to come up with an entertaining and informative podcast. And look, it's awesome to work with uh, Gianluca and Fabrizio. It's awesome anytime you can work with people that are at the top of any industry or any discipline, you can learn a ton. And, you know, it's great, like, especially Fabrizio. He started around the same time as me on the site, and look at him now. He grew up uh, incredibly. Gianluca is still, to me, the top, top reporter. If you ask Fabrizio, he would say that Gianluca is still much better uh, than him. But Fabrizio has been doing really, really well. He's young. He knows how to, you know, re communicate in a way that resonates with people he's an absolutely great reporter he's a really really great guy i got to meet him in person but him and i have been chatting online for years so yeah look it's a blessing i'm very lucky that i have these guys there's plenty of writers that are probably much better writers than me there's probably someone that can do much better podcasts than culture land but i'm lucky because i work with those guys i have the exposure at the same time though i work super hard for that site you know i worked super hard on it still six years later my whole summers i dedicate a lot of time to that so you pay the price for it too um you know uh, alex look at him like i i'm not like alex would have been really successful even had he never met me like i really believe that i had nothing to do with that but I kind of helped a little bit, giving him a platform, but then he exploded with his platform. And that, to me, when I see stuff like that, is awesome. You know, my day job's in finance. Everything that I do here is kind of a hobby that became a second job. And I'm really, really lucky to work with these two guys at the top of their game in Italy and to have the guy that I work with here in the U.S., became a star. I had nothing to do with it, but I still had a front row seat to see it. And that's... Uh, Really, really cool. So I'm a really lucky guy, but you know, I also work hard. And you know, you can agree with my takes. You can not like me. That's fine. I respect that. But I don't think anyone can deny the work. Like uh, when I tell people how much time and effort I put into it, they think I'm crazy. But that's the price too. So, uh, but my advice, and I just want to close on this: that anyone who wants to get into like what I do. My advice is do your best to have a real job like that. If you can do it as a hobby and then you become lucky, look at Alex. It became something full-time for him. That's great. But that, unfortunately, is really the exception. So I think, you know, you can do this as a side gig, but always have something to fall back on because this is just an incredibly difficult field. Yep, that's that's so great to hear, uh, David. From especially from a guy like you as well. So, yep. Uh, so that's probably time to wrap up. It's probably time to wrap up this part. This episode. Yeah, no, I, I'm sorry, man. I really appreciated talking with you, and I really uh, like the Definitely. passion that you have for your project. It was awesome to be 
on your podcast. So uh, thank thanks again for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. Not every day that we get to probably uh, get to talk with people like you as well. So thank you so much, and I'd also like to thank all our listeners as well for tuning into this right. episode. Thank you so much. Take care. Yeah. Yeah.